Last week we talked a little bit about the power of the church. I just want to continue just identifying some of the, um, some of the responsibilities from the word that we have as a church and how God is equipping us to be what we're supposed to be in our generation. I want you to turn to John chapter 14, uh, beginning with verse 15, and we're going to uh, speak from there. I actually believe that, uh, well, it just depends how far we'll get. I think just two passages of scripture today, and then, and then next week we will be in Revelation, uh, talking about the church. John chapter 14 and verse 15 through about verse 21. Let's just read this passage. If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, because I live you will live also." At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Uh, and he who loves me will be loved my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, I uh, read that last part of that last week and talked about it a little bit, and I just thought we need to hang out here a little bit longer. All right? I continually remind you when you're studying the Word, one of the things that you should look for always when you study the Word is you should look for the things where God repeats Himself. You ever have to repeat yourself to your kids? If you have children, you've experienced repeating yourself to them. Okay, I have found that God is very comfortable with that. But I have discovered in the Word of God that when God repeats Himself, He is making an emphasis on an issue that is very, very important to Him. And it's as though uh, because God is who He is and there's no other like Him, the, the Word says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses a matter is established. So if God wants a matter to be established because He is the only witness in His circumstance or in His situation, then He has to just say it two or three times. I'm slow, I need to get it, and I'm perfectly comfortable with God repeating himself to me. My wife repeats herself to me. My parents repeated themselves to me, although my dad had a short fuse about that, and it didn't last very long. Don't make me repeat myself, you boy. But the Lord starts out here in this verse. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, it could be said, walk in my precepts. If you love me, walk in my ways. If you love me, obey what I say. If you love me, do what I tell you that you should do. I say that to my kids all the time. You really love me? Obey me. That's not being hard, that's just being real. Okay, so he says down there in verse 21, again, God repeats himself, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he who understands my precepts and keeps them, he who walks in my way, it is he who loves me. The Lord is putting an emphasis on the issue. If you, if you really love me, 
If you really love me, the Lord is saying, if you really love me, you will do what I tell you that you should do. You will walk in my ways. You will obey me. You will reject the flesh and walk in the spirit. You'll uh, reject sin and walk in righteousness. If you love me, you will get straightened out about your finances and invest in the kingdom the way that I've instructed you to do. Ooh. You follow that? If you love me, you'll... How many of y'all, if you, if you had a, a teenager in your house and they're like, oh, mama, I love you, daddy, I love you so much, and then the minute you ask them to do something, they're like, I don't want to do that. How, who's feeling the love then? Right? They're going to feel my love in a minute. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And God is saying to us that if we love Him, if we're going to come together in a place of worship and we're going to lift up our hands before the Lord and we're going to say, Lord, I love You. Lord, I honor You. Lord, I worship You. That our life would back that up. That our life would be invested in that statement alone. And that we would begin to live like a people who love God. I'll have to spell that out for you. If I do, then you'll be like, oh, he's just legalistic. No, walk with God. Walk with God and give him the right to speak into your life and to say to you, there's some areas in your life that I would like to address to shape you and mold you and help you to look a little more like me in the earth. If you love me, you'll obey me. Well, this is a challenge to the church. The church is to keep the precepts of God. The mark of the church's love is obedience. The mark of a church that loves God is obedience to His Word. The mark of a church that loves God is a people who cry out and say, God, I, I don't just love you with my... I don't, I don't just do lip service. I'm not just saying I love you, but I love you, Lord, and I want to look like you, and I want to sound like you, and I want to walk like you, and I want to talk like you, and I want to act like you. And when people look at me, I want them to think I'm crazy because I'm so much like you that I look nothing like this world. They already think you're off the wall. You just as well walk with God. They think you're off the wall because you give up Sunday morning. You come down here and sit in these pews and let some guy yell the word at you. I haven't learned to be quiet yet. So I don't know how. But verse 15 and verse 21, God repeats himself and he says, If you love me Honor me in your actions, in your manner of life, in the way that you live your life. The way that the church is empowered in this generation today, the way that the church will be empowered is when we submit ourselves to the precepts of God and we begin to be determined to walk in them. I became far more aware of that as we were praying Friday night, perhaps than I've been in months or years, as we were laying before the Lord and we were crying out uh, prayers of repentance and, and we were... Uh, and, and, uh, I think uh, Becky gave Daniel chapter 3 verse, Daniel 9 verse 4, where Daniel began to, where they began to pray, begin to pray in the first person. We have disobeyed you, God. I have messed up. And I was praying some prayers before God, and I'm thinking in my mind, I don't know if I've done that, me personally. But we are the body of Christ. 
Oh, maybe I ought to teach right here for a minute. We're the body of Christ. We are one of another. We are joined together. We are connected, uh, appropriately connected. I'm, I'm connected to Benjamin. And Benjamin's connected to me, and I'm connected, I'm connected to every one of you in one way or another. We are appropriately connected. The Bible says, as a community of faith, that we come together, and the Bible speaks of the joint and the sinew and the marrow and the, the ligaments and how... Uh, read, read in the book, what, what Ephesians and, and a couple other places in Scripture, where the Bible talks about us not forsaking the assembling, the connecting of ourselves together, the way that God desires to connect us. All right, whenever I pray prayers of repentance, I'm part of a body. When I grumble and complain, oh Lord, am I going to go down that road? I'm part of a body, the body of Christ. And I can either build you up with my prayers or I can tear you down with my words. I can either bring blessing into your life or I can bring cursing into your life as you're connected appropriately to me. We're connected one with another. And, and, and sometimes we don't give that the credit that it deserves and understand that it is a powerful thing to be together and that it is, a, it is really weakening for you when you separate yourself and isolate yourself from the body of Christ. Yeah. Because you have no flow of supply if you allow yourself to be isolated from other believers. The power of the church, one of the greatest measures of the way for the church to be fully empowered in our generation is for us to be appropriately connected. When he says, obey my word, do the thing, if you love me, do what I say. And then he says, do not forsake the assembling, or the assembling means being built. Assembling means being put together. Benjamin used the picture, the, the, the example of a, a puzzle and the piece of the puzzle. When you, when you cut, pour a puzzle out on the table, the piece is, those pieces are only going to fit in one place. You can force them into another place, but it's not pretty. And it damages the edges. When you get forced into a place that you don't belong. But when God plants you together with other believers and you allow yourself to be appropriately connected to the body of Christ the way that He designed you, you are supplied and, and we are supplied one of another and we are strengthened together. I'm going to tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll, let me give you a really good example of, of supply in a practical sense. Can I do that? Can we just teach a little bit here? I fail to preach, but I got to, I, I got to teach. If Benjamin and Pam, when, when, I'm going to use you guys as an example because they love me and I can just pick on them all the time. No, I'm not picking on them. Benjamin and Pam, when I say to you, uh, they, they need, we need some ministry in Estonia and we're going to send Benjamin and Pam and, and I say, we're going to get on board with this and we're going we're to finance this. They're our missions directors and, they, and, and we want to send them and we want them to be blessed in their going. We don't want them to have to go at their own expense. You know, y'all just start writing checks and blessing and you're just like, let's help them get there. Let's, let's reach this vision. And these, these folks have loved you and they've invested in you, discipled you and, and participated in your life. And, and if, if something happened devastating in their life and, and I said, Benjamin and Pam are in trouble, how many, you guys would run to meet that challenge. 
But you let someone that's disconnected from the body of Christ come up in here and say, I don't have any gas, and I don't have any lights on, and I don't have any of this. And I, There'd be a few people that would respond, but the response goes to the relationship. You're going to respond and be invested to, with the ones with whom you have a relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. God designed it that way. We're the body of Christ. And I know that if I stood up here and I received an offering for someone that we love and someone that's invested in us, that offering would come in. The church would, would respond and supply. And if I stood up here and said, hey, there's this guy. He don't go here. He don't even like church. But he's out of gas. Somebody might give me $20 to help him because God designed it that way we are to be connected to one another and we are to be invested in one another that's just a practical example but but the the relationship produces supply The same thing happens whenever I, I tell you that someone that you know and that you love out of your midst is in the hospital or facing some situation, and you're all back there lining up, let me take them some food, let me help them, let me, let me, what hospital are they in, what room are they in, can I go and visit, can I pray for them, do they want visitors or do they want me to stay away, let's find out what they really need and let's do that. But if I tell you that somebody you don't know, that just on their bicycle out there is in the hospital I'd venture to say there might not even be one person that would say well can I go see him and pray for them why relationship relationship the power of the church is in our being connected together and being in relationship with one another. I was talking to our brother Jonathan back there uh, the other day at men's breakfast. We had a great men's breakfast, man. If you weren't able to be here, you missed it. And where is, oh, Connie. Lord bless you, Connie. Connie Cook, raise your hand, Connie. Wave, everybody. Connie, talk about being a joint that supply. Connie got her little team together. Donna helped, and Mac was back there, and, and uh, I don't know, a couple other people. I don't know who I was back there. They just cooked us some fine breakfast. It was wonderful, and you ought to be jealous you weren't there. <laughs> Supply. Relationship. It produces in the body of Christ. Produces in the body of Christ. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. If you love me, Jesus said, follow in the things that I tell you to do. We, we, we have got to stop thinking, I ain't going to get this preached today. Would you help? I am not going to get all this preached today. I already got it figured out. We have got to stop believing that God instructed us not to live certain ways and not to do certain things because he wanted to keep something from us. Pastor Keith mentioned on Saturday in the men's meeting, uh, Eve whenever she went up before the, the tree and the serpent come and talked to her, he began to try, when he beguiled her, he, he began to make her think that that tasted good and God was trying to keep something from her. And we have a generation where we live our lives worshiping God and believing in the back of our mind that he's trying to keep something good from us. When in fact he's trying to keep us out of trouble. He's trying to keep us on a straight and narrow and safe path. He's trying to keep us in a place where our feet are sure. He's trying to keep us from trying to have to walk through the swampland. 
He's got us on a sure foundation, and we want to go off cross-country. Make our own way. Praise God. I feel the anointing of the Lord over that. The greatest power of the church comes when we're appropriately connected together, when we decide that we are part of one another. The church in this country... prophetic anointing the church in this in this nation the church in our nation is coming into a season that survival is dependent upon connection and community the church in our nation is coming into a season that we will become interdependent not codependent and not dependent but interdependent upon one another. There is a difference. A a dependent person, y'all have had those in your life. 34, 33-year-old guy who doesn't go to work, stays at mom and dad's house and plays video games, that's dependent. Boot him to the curb. Seriously. Oh, Lord Jesus. Y'all are looking at me. Codependent individuals who can't survive without the other, but who just pull each other down. The parent who's letting that 34 year old guy sit in front of the video get, get up and get a job. When I was growing up, my, my father told a story of a, of a friend of his. They're having this whole discussion about, you know, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. And he had an adult son, and, and, and it had just gone on so long, and, and, and his adult son was still pulling up to the table and getting those mashed potatoes and gravy and that roast beef and, and, and not contributing anything to life. And he's up in his 20s and late, late 20s and coming up on early 30s. And finally, Daddy says, I've had enough. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. So he waits till dinner time. son comes in. Uh, uh, back in those days, they didn't have video games. I don't know what guys did then, but uh, shot pool. So he comes in from the pool hall, <laughs> pulls, up his, pulls up himself to the table, and Daddy reached over and picked up his plate, broke it over his knee, and said, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's a life lesson. That's preaching the gospel. That's preaching the gospel. Daddy just preached the gospel. How did I get down that road? <laughs> Dependent? Uh-uh. Codependent? No. Not in the kingdom. Interdependent? All coming, all participating, all invested, all connected to what God's doing in the kingdom, all humble, all willing, shoulder to shoulder. So I, so I asked Jonathan at the breakfast table the other day when we were at men's breakfast. I remember now how, how I got there. This is full circle. We're back at Jonathan over there. <laughs> Salvation Army 
uh, I said, Jonathan, I have some interns and we're going to be doing some service projects and some outreach. And we have our own mind about what we'd like to accomplish with outreach, but, but with service projects, I'd like to know if Salvation Army is doing service projects in the community that we can just connect to. I don't care, who, I don't care whose name is over the door. I only care that Jesus is glorified and that people go out and act like Jesus in the earth. We had more fun in, in uh, um, last summer when the youth and the interns went out to Ruth Howe's yard. Now, if you understand Ruth Howe's yard, Ruth, Ruth, you are too old to be living on that much property, honey. But it's paid for. Yes. Ain't that, the bless- Ain't that the blessing of the Lord? It's paid for. And we went out there and we just cut down weeds and bushes and we just trimmed back. The girl probably thought she didn't have anything green left when we got done. We just carried bags. But we had more fun serving in the body of Christ. That's connection. That's relationship. It was a delight. And then we prayed together. Holy Spirit came right down her front yard. And we prayed together. And then we all went and got ourselves something to eat. It was wonderful. Shoulder to shoulder. The church is most powerful when we're connected. That's why we're hooked up in missions the way that we are. Because I'm going to tell you what, when we, when we sent Larry and Debbie over 25 years ago or more over to Estonia and Ukraine and the Baltics, and they found Pastor Valya and they helped her plant a church in uh, Helminski, Ukraine, and that church grew to over 800 people, and that church started planting churches, and it's uh, fathered churches and grandfathered churches and great-grandfathered churches all over the Baltics and Russia. We have churches we don't even know about because we got shoulder-to-shoulder with people for the sake of the kingdom of God, and we didn't care whose name was on the door. I don't care. Preach Jesus. I don't care what you call yourself, salt and light, living water. I don't care. Salt and light. I'm going to go down to the salt and light church. (laughs) Pastor, get up today. I'm going to preach on light today. Next Sunday, oh, this is going to be salty. Y'all better get those wounds covered up because some salt is coming out. So then he goes on, man, I'm all, I've only preached on if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16 says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. The church, after we've been, now that we've learned to keep the precepts of God and we're walking in the precepts of God, the next thing the church does to be empowered is lean on the helper. Best prayer I ever prayed. Whenever God assigned me this task and I laid before the Lord and I said, Oh God, I don't know what I'm doing. Smartest prayer I ever prayed. In fact, there were some areas where I told what I think. I said, Lord, I really need help over here and I need help over here. I think I got this right here. Stupid conversation. That was, that, was, that was the foolish statement of my life. The Lord showed me how much I did not have that right there. And he made it clear to me how much I didn't have a clue. I have gotten so comfortable not having a clue. Because the moment that I have a clue and that I think I can do it, God's not in the mix. 
That's why, I, listen, I don't know. I, I had, uh, my niece went and sat down with a local pastor and said, uh, who had planted a church and said, how did, you, how did you hear from God to plant a church and how do you know, how do you know the voice of God? And he says, he's pastoring a church, a, a quite successful one. I don't know that I've ever heard the voice of God. He said that to her. And I said, honey, you should have invited him over here. We'd have showed him how to hear the voice of God. I can't imagine us living our lives not hearing the voice of God, not leaning on the helper. Can you imagine not leaning on the helper? We are supposed to, the power of the church is in the, the, the Holy Spirit. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same spirit that, that called Lazarus out of the tomb. It's the same spirit that came upon men of old and they prophesied the will and the purposes of God in the earth. We are living under the anointing of the same spirit. The church still today, to be empowered, we must hear the voice of the Spirit of God. And you've got to get comfortable with the fact that the world thinks you're just downright loony. My kids, my, listen, I've, I've prayed in the Spirit so long, I forget where I'm at now. I do. I got that from my grandmother. She was that way. We'd be going down the road. She's just here in front. She's just praying. Well, now I'm down in the Walmart, and I don't know where, I don't even, I forget where I'm at. All of a sudden, God begins to talk to me, and I'm just praying in the Spirit. I'm walking through Walmart. I've got my eyes half closed, trying to stumble through Walmart. My kids are off shopping, and they're like, Dad, you're being loud. (laughs) But sometimes it's in those moments that I receive instruction from God for living. You don't have to act like I do. I'm not asking you to act like I do. You don't have to be me. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to be you, but learn to hear from God. We as a church hear from God. We, we as a church gather together and we pray and God speaks to us about the house. And, and, and we as a church uh, weigh matters together and the, the elders sit together and we talk and we pray and then we go away and we come back and we hear from God and go on and, and so on. And that's the way we're learning to live our life. But we as individuals must be able to live that way. You're the church. The church is not a nonprofit organization with an IRS stamp over the, uh, over the letterhead saying y'all can do this and y'all can do that. That's not the church. That's just a framework by which we somehow function in the earth and it's not really a great one for that matter. When IRS pulls a nonprofit, is everybody who gives so that they can get a receipt going to quit giving? Or are we going to be the church? Because if I'm going to preach the truth in this pulpit and if it makes them pull my nonprofit, I could care less. I'll get back up the next Sunday and preach the same thing over again. Because sin is sin and righteousness is righteousness and we've got to be the church. And and the day of of religious liberties in this nation are, are gone. We just haven't realized it yet. We're under attack on every side. We're still going to be the church. I don't care who's in charge. You feel that anointing over those words? You've got to be bold in the earth. 
You've grown up in a generation that has tried to teach you that the things of God are a private matter and you ought to just keep them to yourself. And, and I'm, I'm here to tell you that my Bible, that the earth would have never been evangelized if the apostles and the prophets and the early church would have thought that way. Your neighbor is going to hell if they don't meet Jesus. And we're in a generation when the church is going, do you really think God would send someone to hell? That's a, that's a very real question that's being asked today in the church. It horrifies me. Say it again, Bishop. Right. When the Bible says the smoke of their torment went up forever. Forever. I, I, so we learn to keep the precepts of God being connected together. We learn to lean on the help of the Holy Ghost. Listen if, you, listen, if you are not filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, so that you can pray the mysteries of God, and so that you can pray the will of the Father over your life, instead of being afraid of that, when the prayer teams are up here, come up here and tell them. I need to learn how to pray in the Spirit. I need to pray the will of the Father. I need to be able to pray over my kids the mind of Christ. You're trying to raise kids in this generation. You can't pray the mind of Christ over them. Honey, you need help. I, can't, I, I have lost count of the times that the Holy Spirit has instructed me or my wife regarding our kids exactly what is to be said and what is to be done or what they were doing. You want to live that way if you're raising children. You want to train them to walk in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they'll not depart. Well, sometimes the only way to know the way that they should go is to ask God, what do I say to this kid? They're in a place of hardship and, and I don't see it. And I don't know what to do. And you know what? He speaks. He speaks. Pastor Keith said on, on Saturday to the men, he said, when I was raising my kids, he said it horrified me. I, I was a young believer, brand new, and Jesus didn't know how to raise the kids. And, and, and he said they didn't send an instruction book home from the hospital. And he said, I began to pray and say, God, I don't know how to do this. You've given me children. I don't know how to raise them. And God said, I want you to treat them like I treat you. Wow, is that not wonderful wisdom? He said, all of a sudden, I realized I could raise my kids if I just learned to treat them the way God treats me. Some of y'all don't like it when God disciplines you. We've got to raise a generation to know God. So we have to do that by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We've got to know from one week to the next direction and instruction and guidance and counsel from the Spirit of God. Sometimes you get up in the morning and everything's like it was yesterday and three days later you get up in the morning and nothing looks the same. And, and we look at God and we go, I got this. And the Lord says, oh, okay, let me know when you need me. Six months later, we're like, God, get me out of this mess I've created. Right? We've all lived there. We can live by the voice of the Spirit in a way that we don't create messes for ourselves that the Lord has to help us clean up six months later. We can live that way. We can live that way. 
Because the Holy Spirit's always speaking. He's always speaking. We just need to listen to what he's saying. So he said to them, I'm going to pray the Father and he will give you a comforter that he may abide with you forever. When God says that the Holy Spirit is going to abide with you forever, is there ever a moment in your life when the Holy Spirit is not right there with you? David said, if I ascend to the highest heavens, I find that God is there. If I, if I go into the lowest place of the earth, that God is there. Wherever I go, I cannot hide from his presence. And that's the principle and the basis on which the Holy Spirit was sent into the earth. And you as a believer, there's never a time when you're in a place where the Holy Spirit is not there. And some of y'all take into places he's not happy about being in. <laughs> but he's there. Because he loves you. But we haven't tuned our ear to the whisper that says, don't go. Don't go that way. Don't make that choice. Man, there's some really simple places in my life that I made really bad decisions, usually financially, <laughs> that, that, I, that the Holy Spirit was whispering, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't make that decision. Don't go that direction. Over and over again. The Holy Spirit wants to tune our ear to hear his voice so that we can be the church. I'd venture to say that the day is coming in our nation whenever the Holy Spirit wants to be able to tell you, don't drive down that road, it's dangerous. Going down the freeway, take the next exit, I'm detouring you. Oh, well, God, there's no detour sign. That's all right, but by the time you get down there, the bridge is out. The Holy Spirit wants to be able to direct us in our life in a moment. Don't go down that way. Go over here. There's some people whose ear tuned to, whose God has tuned their ear to your voice and they need salvation. And one of these days the Holy Spirit wants to say, today's the day. Go talk, go talk, go share Jesus with them today. They're ripe for the picking. They're ready for the harvest. Go, 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 go. I remember that happened to me at work when I was working for the IRS. <laughs> Y'all never knew I worked there, did you? Yeah. I was working out here at the service center in Fresno, and I was working a swing shift with a young man, and, and, and God began to speak to me about him, and he said, I want you to go, and I want you to tell him that I love him. And this is what the Holy Spirit, listen, this, this will blow all of your theology away. The Holy Spirit says to me, I'm sending you to sow seed. Don't ask him if he wants to receive Jesus. Just tell him that I love him, that I have my hand on him, that my eye is set up on him, and that I want him to know me. That's all I want you to say to him. Well, that blew me away, man. I'm one of those, you know, if, if you're going to tell me to talk to him, I'm going to say, repent, hell is a real place. And that's the way I grew up. I grew up in Pentecostal churches where it was wrong even if it was right. You grew up there too, Jeff, in those places. Don't run around with those people who don't know Jesus. Then we're going to have revival. Bring all your unsaved friends. <laughs> what friends? You mean I got to go out in the next two weeks, make friends? 
with all those people you told me I'm not supposed to hang out with so I can bring them to revival. So anyway, I'm at work. Back to the subject at hand. I'm at work. The Lord's telling me, you go talk to that young man. He and I were, were working in the same unit. The Lord says, you go talk to him. You tell him I love him. You tell him that I have my hand on him. You tell him that I desire to have a relationship with him and that I desire for him to know me. That's all I want you to tell him. Tell him who Jesus is and tell him that I desire to know him. I desire for him to know me. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I begin to pray for him all the time. One night I'm on my way to work and the Holy Spirit says to me, tonight, you tell him tonight. I said, okay, tonight. I think it was a Wednesday night, in fact. I'm going to work. As soon as I get to work, I went right over to his desk because I'm flesh and I'll talk myself out of it if I don't obey God right now. Right? So I go over to his desk and I say, listen, I want to have a conversation with you at break time. Would you go on break with me? And he said, yeah, sure. We go on break. We sit down together. And I said, I got to talk to you about Jesus. He told me to come talk to you. Well, I got the dumbest look. Jesus talked to you. And he told you to come and talk to me. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I said. I said, I just, I, just give me a minute. I got to talk to you about Jesus. I said, Jesus loves you. I said, he died for your sins. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. And he's been watching you live your life. And he's telling me to tell you that he wants you to pay attention to him. That he's reaching for you and he wants you to come to him. And you need to come to terms with the fact that he's out there and that he loves you and that he's calling you to himself. He's saying, come and walk with me. And about that time, he turned five shades whiter. He's a white boy. And he turned, he turned white, white. I mean, the blood drained out of his face. I thought he was going to chuckle and walk away and go, yeah, you're out of your mind or whatever. He, he turned three shades of white, lighter. I thought I was talking to powder. <laughs> and he says to me, he says, I'm going to share something with you that I have not shared with anybody. And I want you to not tell anybody here you know, in, the, in the workplace. And I said, okay. He said, a few months back, I got a DUI. And he said, they sent me to a 12-step program that I have to attend to get my license back. And he said, we are at the point, I don't know what step it is in the program, I've never been through a 12-step. He said, we're at the step where I have to go tomorrow to my meeting and tell them who God is for me. And no one has ever told me about Jesus. I did not know who God is. Okay, I was on my way to work and God said, talk to him tonight. That's the way God wants to lead us. I had the same thing happen when I saw a woman getting out of a car in a parking lot and I was dealing with my kids and it was crazy. My wife said, stay in the car with the kids, I got to run in the store. And it was one of those days and the little munchkins were on my nerves. And the Holy Spirit says, that woman's getting out of that car, go pray with her. And about that time, one of my kids screamed. And I'm like, you guys, stop, whatever. And that woman gets up and she goes in the store. And I'm sitting there struggling with, do I leave my kids in the car? Do I drag them into the store to go track this woman down? And my opportunity passed. 
And the Holy Spirit said to me, do you realize what I had to do to get that woman to this parking lot so that she would be in front of you so that you would go and tell her that you needed to ask the Lord to bless her and you needed to speak a blessing over her life. I, it took, I had to move heaven and earth to get her here so that you'd obey me and you disobeyed me. So God, I assure you that to the best of my ability, that's never going to happen again. He says, she's all right. And I'll send someone else to her, but I brought her here for you to minister to her. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us in that way. For the church to be what the church needs to be, we as individuals have got to hear the voice of the Spirit of God. I really believe that there's some, there's some, um, some of these shootings and things that happened where schools have been shot up or the theater was shot up or this and that and the other thing, that, uh, that there's sometimes I know that some folks that were supposed to be at work in the Twin Towers were not there that day because God interrupted. Because they were listening. Most of the time, in order for God to move us, he has to make trouble come or make us sick. Can we stop living that way? No, he doesn't make us sick, but he lets trouble come and, and, and it'll motivate us. But if we would learn to hear the voice of the Lord, He would not have to motivate us with circumstances. There's some teaching for you. If we would learn to hear the voice of the Lord, He would not have to motivate us with circumstances. We must, we must lean on the Helper. Jesus said the world cannot hear Him. So the only way for the world to hear the voice of God in the earth is for the church to hear the voice of God and speak the voice of God. The world cannot hear him. Is that what we read? I'm going to give you a helper. He will abide with you forever. So those who are preaching that the Holy Spirit is not for today, I have, I have it figured out. Forever has not ended There's no interruption to forever. So let's not struggle with that. Oh, but I might have to pray in tongues in Walmart. He may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. What does the Bible say about truth? I'm going to run out of time. What does the Bible say? You will know the truth. And the truth will. How many want to be free? He's the spirit of truth. How many people, believers, lost their shirt in the last economic crisis, real estate crisis, where if, they would have, if the Holy Spirit would have had an opportunity to speak to him, he would have said, don't buy that house right now. Don't take that loan right now. Because... Six months from now, your dollar or your interest rate or your whatever is not going to be worth what it is today or it's going to change. The Holy Spirit would speak to us about our stuff. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. The Holy Spirit will speak to you about what's important to you. We have to lean on the helper to be the church. To be the kind of church that is, is really effective in our generation, we have to lean on the helper. He says, to, he says to him, 
the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you. He's talking to the disciples and he's telling them the Holy Spirit's been hanging out with you this whole time. He told the disciples, he's with you. Remember when he sent the 70 out? They weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit was with them. He said, go out, find the man of peace, do this, do that. This is what I want you to do while you're out there, and then come back and report to me. And they came back, and they were saying, man, God moved. It was wonderful. All these things happened. The sick were healed. The blind eyes were open, and people heard the, the, the word of the Lord. All this was wonderful, and the Holy Spirit was with them. He said, he's with you. But he didn't stop right there. He said, and shall be in you. Isn't that precious? Okay. Under the Old Testament, what the, the principle under which the disciples were living at that time when Jesus was talking to them was the same principle that the prophets of old were living under. The Holy Spirit would come upon them. Well, folks today are waiting for the Holy Spirit to pounce on them. When I was, when I was a young person and, and they'd pray for someone to relieve, receive the Holy Spirit, they'd lay hands on them and they'd go, fill them up, Lord, fill them up, Lord, fill them up, Lord. Somebody else would lay hands on them and go, empty them out, Lord, empty them out, Lord, empty them out. Make room in there for the good things of God. Fill them up, Lord, fill them up, Lord. And I was like, dear Jesus, he moved in. Why are we making this hard? In the old days, the Holy Spirit would pounce on you so you'd prophesy. That's what happened to Saul. Saul was not a prophet. He went and hung out with the prophets. He got up around the spirit of the prophets. He started prophesying. I love that stuff. It's still wonderful. I can get around prophets today and I'll prophesy more than I prophesied all week. Because you get around and under that anointing. It's wonderful. But that's under an old paradigm. And Jesus said, He's with you and He will be in you. And then Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and said, This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your, your, your old men, you know, whatever, all that. See visions, dream dreams, and, and all that stuff. I'm not old enough to know the difference yet. And, uh, and uh, He says, And this promise is to you and your children and your children's children and to all them that are far off. Another one of God's ways of saying forever. He's in you. And we're still waiting for him to jump on us to get us to do something. He's in you. He placed gifts in you. Do you know that I am always anointed to preach? I'm telling you, I'm way past needing an outline. If I walked into a church service... And they said to me, the pastor is not here today. He's had a crisis and he can't get here. You got to preach in two minutes. I'm ready. Why? Because the anointing to preach the gospel is deposited in my life by the gifts of God that are in me. Those gifts are anointed to do the works of ministry. The gifts of God that are in you are anointed to do the works of ministry. Those of you that are in this house that, that you know, that you know, that you know, that there is an evangelistic anointing on your life, that, that anointing that is on your life, it is on you to evangelize. I don't care if you're down at the fruit stand. You're an evangelist. You're anointed to evangelize. You don't have to say, God, anoint me to talk to this person or 
it's, it's worse. It's not a nightmare to talk to this person. It's, should I? Should I share, should I share Jesus or, or should I not? God, do I go talk to them or don't I? Grow up. We need to grow up. I'm, I'm preaching to myself when I say that. We need to grow up in our gifting. You're anointed to do that. I don't pray over the word when I preach because the word's anointed. I pray over your hearts to receive it. But the word's anointed to be declared. His word is forever anointed. So you don't have to... Only the devil will tell you not to go share the love of Jesus with somebody. Only the devil will tell you. So when you ask God, should I or shouldn't I? God's saying, go! He's already, he's, Jesus said go. He didn't change his mind. Man, I am just... Wound up today. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't change that. When he said that, it's just like when God said, let there be light. When you got up this morning, was there light? When you got up this morning, the declaration to go and preach the gospel was still upon your life. Because he said, go. He hasn't changed it. Well, I only got through three verses. But he said, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Oh, man, I need, I need to preach on this. I need to share this with you. You receive Jesus. You ask Jesus to come into your life, forgive your sins, become your Savior, and you come walk with God. You know the Holy Spirit. You know him. That's why some guy who doesn't even believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit can go plant a church, preach the gospel, and reach people for Jesus. He doesn't even know that he's following who he knows. Isn't that, imagine if he actually tapped into and realized and began to ask questions of the Holy Spirit, how much more effective he would be. You think, oh man, he's successful. He's pastoring a church of thousands. He's not nearly as successful as he'd be if he'd listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. When we won't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we fall so far below our potential. And what we call success, that's not success to God. Imagine when, when, we go to, when we go stand before the Lord and we say, Oh, I preached to thousands and thousands came to Jesus. And he said, Yeah, and you were about 55,000 short of what I assigned you. If you had listened to me, there was more that would have been done. That's not what I want to hear. I was praying the other day and I said, God, I'm going to tell you something. Let me just tell you right now. I am not going to stand before you and hear you say, depart from me, you who worked iniquity. I never knew you. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to be one of those guys who stands before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I'm going to be that guy. We have to determine if that's who we're going to be. Well, church is to keep the precepts of God. We're to obey Him and, 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 and love Him through obedience. And then we are to lean on the helper. For the church to be empowered, we must lean on the helper, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Church knows the spirit because he dwells in the believer. 